having a Bible study in the book of Acts. Uh, Lord, there's uh, things we can learn from this passage, and I pray you just help us to, to be attentive and be able to learn something from your word. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 9, and we uh, read a very famous account of the conversion of Saul, and uh, if you look at verse number 1 and 2, just by way of introduction, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to... Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now if you've noticed we were first introduced uh, to Saul back in Acts chapter number 7 when Stephen was martyred. The Bible says, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, uh, I'm sorry I'm reading the wrong verse, verse 58. It says in, in Acts 7 verse 58 it says, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. Talking about Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And uh, Stephen was the first Christian to be martyred. Uh, The first person to die, you know, other than Jesus Christ, of course. uh, First person to die for the cause of Jesus. And Saul, the Bible says in in chapter 8, which we'll look at that in a little bit, he was consenting unto his death. And Saul not only was consenting unto his death, he pretty much took on the cause of persecuting the church. And and he's busy persecuting the church in Acts chapter number 9. And he's gotten to the point where he's no longer content with just persecuting Christians in Jerusalem, he actually wants to go into different areas and he's asking for permission to go into Damascus, which is actually a city in a foreign nation, in the nation of Syria. And he's asking permission to be able to go into a foreign land, a foreign city, and to find and to go into the synagogues in those nations and find Christians and bring them bound back to Jerusalem in order to uh, put them in prison and uh, possibly put them to death as well. And and he got that approval and uh, really... This is where he's traveling to Damascus. And he's on what is commonly called the road to Damascus or Damascus Road. And this is where he, uh, you know, this, this great story takes place on his way to Damascus. If you look down at verse number 3, the Bible says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shines round about him a light from heaven. So uh, a light just comes down from heaven and just shines round about him. The Bible says he falls, in verse 4 it says, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Verse 5 says, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now Saul, this must have been an amazing moment for Saul. Uh, I mean, Jesus is the person he's been persecuting. Christians are the people he's been persecuting. And he acknowledges that it's God because he says, Who art thou, Lord? And he's saying, you know, he, he understands that this is, some, you know, this is something supernatural. This is a miracle. And, and it must be uh, an, uh, just an incredible moment for him to hear Jesus Christ. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ say to him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, it's interesting to me that the Bible says, and Jesus said, that Paul was persecuting Jesus. Now, at this time, if you've been with us in the book of Acts, you know that Jesus has been ascended up to heaven for some time. But Jesus Christ said, you know, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now if you go back to Acts chapter number 8, and you look at verse number 1, it's interesting because the Bible says in Acts 8.1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen, 
And at that time there was a great persecution, notice what it says, against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions in Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. And Saul made havoc of the church. Notice it says he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. So, in Acts 8 it says that he was persecuting the church. He was making havoc of the church. In Acts 9, Jesus said, you're persecuting me. You say, well, why is that? Well, if you go to, with me to Ephesians, chapter number 5, you're there in in uh, Acts, so just go in the right to your Bible, in, in your Bibles to Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and then the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number five. You'll see there in Ephesians chapter number five and verse number twenty-three, the Bible says this. Ephesians five twenty-three, it says, "For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church." And he is the savior of the body. So in, in Ephesians five, you know, he's using the illustration of a husband and wife, and he's saying, and he's saying, the husband is the head of the wife, meaning he's the boss. And he says in the same way that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and the church is referring, you can go back to Acts nine, as the body. So the Bible says that Jesus is the head, and Jesus says that his his body is the church. So you know, he that's he's he's saying, you know, when you do something to the church, you're doing it to me. Because that's my body. And, and, and you know, we've got to understand that. That we together, the Bible says we are different members of His body. And we, when we gather together as a church, as a congregation, we are making up the local, you know, here in Sacramento, local body of Jesus Christ. We're the body. And when people mess with the body, they're messing with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He was persecuting men and women, Christians, and making havoc of the church. But Jesus Christ took it very personal and said, you're persecuting me. He said, you're, I'm, he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And we've got to understand that the church is the body of Christ. That's why it's often, you know, people don't understand, uh, like in Malachi chapter number 3 and verse 8, where it talks about tithing. And God says, will a man rob God? And they say, well, where and have we robbed it? And he said, in tithes and offerings. And people often think, well, I'm not robbing God because I'm not giving my tithe to the church. But the thing is, when you withhold your tithe from the church, it's as if you're withholding your tithe from God. Because the church is the body of God, of, of Jesus Christ, which is God. So, that, that's that correlation. You understand, you know. And, and that's why, you know, when we, uh, when we skip church, we're literally, it's like you're skipping a date with Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, would you imagine if, if Jesus, you know, asked you to come have uh, dinner with him on a Wednesday night? I mean, if Jesus in the flesh said, hey, I'd like to meet with you on Wednesday night. I mean, we'd be there. I mean, good night. If the governor of California asked you, you'd probably be there. You know, but, but when we gather together, we're the body of Christ, is what the Bible says. And if you mess with the church, you're messing with Jesus Christ. So I think that's very interesting. It's very, uh, it, it's kind of humbling, but it's also, uh, you know, just... Uh, Nice to know the importance that Jesus places on the church. Because he says, hey, that's my body. Those are my people. But he's uh, persecuting the church then. And if you look down at verse number 5, it says, and he said, who art thou, Lord? Now, you got to understand, Saul asks a very, he's asking a very specific question. He says, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus Christ, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In verse 6, the Bible says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord. And notice what Saul asks. A very specific question. He says, What wilt thou have me to do? So he's asking God 
Jesus Christ in His glorified body appearing to him, He says, What wilt thou have me to do? And if you notice, Jesus did not preach them the gospel. Jesus did not say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Remember when the uh, Philippian jailer asked Paul later on uh, in his life, he says, you know, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul is asking Jesus, what will thou have me to do? And notice what Jesus answers. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now it's interesting because you think if Jesus would take the time to make an appearance, uh, to, to drop a man off his horse, I'm guessing, the Bible doesn't say he was on a horse, but you know, we can guess that he was probably on a horse and he fell off the horse, then he would take the time to explain to him salvation, explain to him the gospel, explain to him everything. But he just got his attention and, he, and when he asked, what should I do? He says, just go to the city, someone will tell you what to do. Look at verse number uh, 7. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. So these other men, they couldn't see Jesus. But they could hear his voice. They could hear him speaking with Saul. Verse 8. And Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. That's very interesting. He's blind. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. So he had to, they had to, the man had to grab him by his hand and lead him into Damascus. He couldn't see after this. After Jesus appeared to him, he was blind. The Bible says in verse 9, And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So he uh, spends three days in Damascus. He can't see. He's not eating. He's not drinking. I mean, he had a very uh, troublesome um, you know, experience here. Look at verse 10. And there were certain disciples at Damascus named Ananias... And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive a sight. So, Paul, we understand that Saul, I keep on Paul because he's going to become Paul, but Saul at this time has seen in a vision, you know, during those three days, that there's a man, Ananias, who's going to come to him. And God is talking, Jesus is talking to Ananias saying, I want you to go. Now, if you look at verse 13, and this is very understandable, in verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard by many of this man, and how, e- and how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here that he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on my name. So he's saying, I don't want to go talk to this guy, you know. I mean, this guy's been putting people to death. This guy's been putting people in prison. You know, and, and he came to Damascus to put us in prison. I mean, Ananias was the guy that he was coming to get. You know, one of the men that he was coming to get. One of the Christians. But look at verse 15, Jesus said, or the Lord said, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles, and the kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. Now, it's, it's interesting to me, because my entire life, you know, I've grown up going to church, and listening to this uh, taught in Sunday school classes, and in sermons, or whatever. And my entire life, I've heard of Saul's conversion on Damascus Road. And I've heard that Saul got saved on Damascus Road when Jesus appeared to him. That's when he got saved. And I've got to ask you this question. Did Saul get saved when Jesus was speaking to him on Damascus Road? And look at, look at what happened. I mean, it's a very, very short amount of conversation they had. Verse 4, And he fell to the earth, 
and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into thy city, and it shall be done unto thee. Go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Does it sound like Saul got saved at all? But yet people will repeat this over and over and over. They'll say that Saul got saved on Damascus Road, and, just, and, and it's a bunch of uh, garbage. And I'll tell you why. People have people, they we've gotten in Christianity to a place where people want to make salvation an experience. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've knocked on somebody's door and and, and asked them about their salvation, and they'll talk about some. Sometime when they were in Vietnam and they were in some sort of a, a, a problem and they almost died, you know, or they were on some operation table and they were going to die or they were, you know, whatever. And people, you know, they'll think that they'll go through some experience. And I'm not minimizing those things. I mean, they'll go through some traumatic experience where they feel like God did something for them and they'll account that as salvation. And I'm here to tell you, it might be nice that God put them through that or God saw them through that or God helped them through that. But the point is that that's not salvation. And experience is not salvation. Going through, you know, you know, uh, you know, whatever, some sort of a tr- traumatic time where you might have died, or you might have seen something, or might, have, or something might happen to you. That's not salvation. Salvation is simply this: believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is a choice you make. Salvation is when you accept Jesus Christ. And people will, you know, say that Saul got saved this moment. But I'm going to tell you, we're not Pentecostals, okay? We don't believe in, you know, just having this experience, having, you know, seeing this light or seeing this thing, and, and all of a sudden that's getting, getting salvation. Jesus Christ could appear to you and you not be saved if you didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And He didn't get saved. And Jesus didn't even try to preach them the gospel. Notice what Jesus said to him. Go to the city and it shall be told unto thee what thou You know what Jesus said? Jesus just directed him. He said, I'm going to send a soul winner. You know why Jesus did not give him the gospel? Because, you know, we preached on this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the Great Commission. Before Jesus ascended up to heaven, five different times he gave the Great Commission and he gave the job of soul winning to the church. Do you remember that? He gave, the Bible says that He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if Jesus Christ has told us it is our job to give the gospel to people, He's not going to appear to anybody and give them the gospel ever. He's just not. And He did with Saul. He said to Saul, you know, go into the city. And let me prove it to you even further. Go with me to Acts chapter number 22. Acts chapter number 22. And look at verse number 12. Acts chapter number 22 and look at verse number 12. In Acts 22 we find... The Apostle Paul now, towards the end of his ministry, and he's recounting, he's giving his salvation testimony. And he's talking about what happened here on his way to Damascus. And when Paul gives us his testimony, he gives a little more uh, detail. Look at verse number 12. And we'll skip his the experience he had with Jesus, but in verse 12 he says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me, and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, now keep in mind, this is Saul, Paul, giving his salvation testimony. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 
Now I want you to just keep your finger in Acts 22 and verse 16 and go with me to the next book in the Bible, Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And Romans is one of the books of the Bible we go to the most to explain salvation, because he does such a wonderful job explaining what salvation is. Look at Romans chapter number 10, look at verse number 9. Romans chapter number 10, and look at verse number 9. The Bible says, that if... I use this verse every time I'm giving the gospel to somebody. I close with this verse. Because it's just so clear. He says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So according to the Bible, how do you get saved? By confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. That's what it says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But look at verse number 13. Verse number 13 in the same chapter. Look at what it says. That that action of, of confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart is referred to as this in verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that terminology is found all throughout the scriptures. I can show you in Genesis when Abraham, the patriarch, called upon the name of the Lord and he got saved. And the Bible says that when you get saved, it calls that calling upon the name of the Lord. It says in Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Go back to Acts 22. Look at verse number uh, 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized... And wash away thy sins. Now, it could be confusing if you don't study the Bible spiritual with spiritual. You might think that he's saying, get baptized to wash away your sins. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, arise, comma, and be baptized, comma, and wash away thy sins, comma, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, we understand from Romans 7.13, you get saved when you call upon the name of the Lord. So, calling upon the name of the Lord is when he got saved. He washed away his sins when he got saved. Now you say, well, it sounds like he got he washed away his sins when he got baptized. Well, here's the thing. If you study, and I don't have time to go through it, but if you study in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that we, we were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So unless Saul got baptized in the blood of Jesus Christ, which I doubt, that baptism didn't wash away his sins. Baptism is just a picture of what happened to us spiritually when we got saved. Baptism is just a picture of salvation. But when did he wash away his sins? When he called upon the name of the Lord. When did he call upon the name of the Lord? When Ananias came to preach to him. And I'm just trying to make this point. In the Bible, do you remember Acts chapter number 8? We have the eunuch reading the Bible, can't get saved. When does he get saved? When the soul winner explains to him the gospel. We have Saul, who Jesus Christ appeared to him in the flesh and threw him off the horse. But when did he get saved? When the soul winner showed up. When did he get saved? When did he wash away his sins? When he called upon the name of the Lord. Paul, Saul, got saved the exact same way every other Christian has gotten saved from the beginning of the uh, 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 creation by calling upon the name of the Lord. And people try to say, well, Saul got saved on the master's road because he had his experience. Jesus appeared to him. That's not true. No one gets saved with an experience. No one gets saved by uh, having you know something happen to them and something phenomenal. Everybody gets saved the same way, calling upon the name of the Lord. Period. Look at Romans chapter number 2. Look at verse number 11. Romans 2.11 says this, For there is no respect of persons with God. You know what that means? That means that God does not respect any one man more than any other. 
God does not look at any one person better. The Bible says there is no respect to person of God. The Bible says that God looks at all of us the same. And it would not be right or fair for Jesus Christ to appear to a man and give him the gospel and not appear to every other man. But, but Jesus didn't do that. He didn't play favorites with Paul. He threw him off the horse and he said, I want you to go wait for my soul winner. Because that's how I work. Through soul winning. Through individuals going out with the gospel and getting people saved. And then Jesus took the time to call in an ice and convince him to go to Saul. Because that's the only way somebody can get saved. Using a Bible and having a soul winner give you the gospel. And that's how Saul got saved. Saul did not get saved on Damascus Road. He got saved when a soul winner explained to him how to call upon the name of the Lord. And if you look at uh, Acts 22.16 again, just read it again. And now why tarriest thou? Arise... And be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So how do you wash away your sins? How did Paul wash away his sins? Same way you wash away your sins. Same way I wash away my sins. By calling upon the name of the Lord. So now go back with me to Acts chapter 9. Look at verse number uh, 8. Acts 9.8 And Saul arose from the earth... And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And look at verse 9. And he was there three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. So three days have gone by since Jesus appeared to Saul. So when did Saul... And, and then Ananias showed up. And then Saul got his eyesight back. Which I don't believe he got it fully back. And I, you know, we can talk about that later. But then he got his eyesight back. Then he called on the name of the Lord. Then he watched. So when did Saul get saved? Three days later. Did he get saved on Damascus Road? No, he did not. He got saved in Damascus. When a soul winner showed up. Just like anyone else could say. And I really want you to understand that. Because, you know, when these Pentecostals and these different people try to, you know, say, Well, I just know I got saved because, you know, I saw this light and I got all tingly. And look, I don't know if what you were smoking, but that's not salvation. Salvation is not an experience. Salvation is not something you go through. Salvation is calling upon the name of the Lord. And, and by the way, let me just show you this. Go with me to Act, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. This isn't in my notes, but just... Just look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Look at verse... Let's just begin reading at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians. You're there in Acts. you got Romans and you got 1 Corinthians. So Acts, then go past Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, Moreover, moreover brethren, I declare unto you the gospel... Which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye say ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ did for our Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And look at verse number 8. This is Paul speaking. He says, And last of all he was seen of me, also as one born out of due time. So according to the Bible, who was the last person who ever saw Jesus Christ? Paul. So when anyone says to you, I saw Jesus he appeared to me in my bedroom. They're lying to you. Because Paul said, last of all, he said, I was the last... And by the way, that's why there's no apostles anymore. 
You know, I, sometimes I drive by these Pentecostal churches and, you know, they'll say, uh, Apostle Susie or something. Apostle Christy. Apostle Dan. And there's no apostles. You know why? Because in order to be an apostle, you have to have seen Jesus Christ with your life. And the last person who saw Jesus Christ was Paul. That's what the Bible says. So if somebody says, you know, I saw Jesus, He appeared to me. They're lying. Because the, the next time anybody sees Jesus will be when we all see Jesus coming in clouds with great power and glory, like it says in the book of Revelation. But the Bible makes it very clear that the Apostle Paul was the last person who saw Jesus Christ in the flesh. Nobody has seen Jesus. And if, if anybody ever tells you, oh, I saw Jesus, just ask him this question. Did he have long hair or short hair? And usually they'll say, oh, he had long hair. And just think, ah, it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus didn't have long hair. And I don't have time to prove that either. But anyway, uh, let's go to Acts chapter number 9. And look at verse number... Let's see, where are we? In all this. Look at verse number 20. Acts chapter number 9, and look at verse number 20. Oh, that's why I'm confused. I'm still in Romans. Acts chapter number 9. And let's see, where do we leave off? Actually, let's go to verse... Yeah, let's just look at verse 20. What? Look, look at verse 20. The Bible says, And straightway... Well, actually, that's not going to make sense. I'm sorry. Let's start reading at verse number 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus hath appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received me, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now look at verse 20. And straightway. I like that word. Straightway. That means immediately. And straightway. What did he do? He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now, keep your finger there in Acts 9, because obviously we're going to be coming back to it. But go with me to Mark. Mark chapter number 1. you got Matthew, then the book of Mark. The second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter number 1, and look at verse number 16. Mark chapter number 1, and look at verse number 16. I like, I like Paul's attitude, or Saul's attitude. The Bible says he got saved, and straightway, immediately, he's just preaching the gospel. He's just going to synagogue, trying to get people saved. And it's interesting because there's other great men that the Bible says straightway about. If you look at Mark chapter number 1, and you look at verse number 16, the Bible says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, referring to Jesus Christ, he saw Simon, which would later be renamed Peter, and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And look at verse 18. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. So Jesus said, come after me. And the Bible says, and straightway, that means, and immediately they forsook their nets and they followed him. Keep reading, look at verse 19. And he, when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship, with the hired servants and went after him and they went into Capernaum and notice what it says straightway on the Sabbath 
day he entered into the synagogues and taught. So he gets these guys, and the Bible says immediately they leave their, their professions, leave their families, and immediately they're in the synagogues preaching the gospel. And if you notice the four apostles that he's talking about, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, probably the most popular, most well-known, most well-used apostles in the, of all 12 of them. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I mean, if you went to the average person and told them, you know, to, to, to name uh, four apostles, you know, they, they'd either name those or they'd give you the names of the four Beatles, I guess, I don't know. But, um, you know, those are the four most well-known apostles. And, and what's interesting about them is that of all four of them, it says that straightway. It says that immediately. And Paul, it says that immediately he just started preaching the gospel. Now look at, look at verse number 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dealt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now, I want you to notice this. In verse 20, he goes soul winning. In verse 22, he's growing. Okay? The average Christian today hides behind this excuse. They'll say, I can't preach the gospel. I can't go soul winning. And you ask them why. And they'll say, I'm too new. I don't know enough. I don't know enough of the Bible. I can't do it. But what's interesting about Paul is that he went soul winning, whether he knew much or not. And then the Bible says later on, he increased the more in strength. And let me just explain something to you. If you're, cost, if you're waiting to preach the gospel so you feel like you know enough Bible, you will never preach the gospel. You will never get anybody saved. Because you'll never... You think, you think I know the Bible you know, as well as I, I could or should? Of course not. I mean, the, the Bible says that this book is God. This is the mind of God. We're never going to understand the Bible. But you know what God does for people? Is when they get out in the trenches and they get out to work, then He allows them to learn. He allows them to understand. He allow, and, and it's not even uh, some sort of a spiritual secret. I mean, just go ask any, anybody who teaches anything, and you'll know that when you teach something, you know it better than if you're just learning. If, you're, if someone is teaching you something, training you, they're learning it better. When I preach a sermon to you, I'm learning the Bible ten times more than you are by listening to me, because I have to learn it. I have to study it. I have to read it. And when you're out soul winning, and you're dealing with people, and you're explaining to them the Bible, and you're reading the verses, you're explaining to them, they're asking you questions, and you're trying to figure it out. As you do that, you will grow, and you will strengthen. And it's not a coincidence that Peter, Andrew, James, John, Paul, some of the greatest names, and some of the greatest men who ever walked this earth, who did the most for the Lord Jesus Christ, were also the people who didn't have, they didn't hide behind the excuse, I knew at this, I've never done this before, I just got saved. They just said, hey, you know what, straightway, let's get in, straightway, let's get to work, let's just do it now, we'll learn on the way. And that's what they did. And, and you know what happened? They were some of the most well-known, some of the most powerfully used Christians in the Bible. And here's what's interesting about Saul. If you go back to verse 15, he said, it says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles, and kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, we don't really understand this. In Acts 22, we won't go back there, but he, he referenced that again. 
We don't really understand this, but before Saul even got saved, God gave him an understanding and a vision of all the persecution he was going to go through. Of all the things that were going to happen to him. And you know what's so interesting about Saul? Is that he did it anyway. I mean, he served God anyway. He became a missionary anyway, knowing that he would get beat, knowing that he would get stoned, knowing that he would get, you know, eventually imprisoned and possibly put to death, knowing that all these things uh, were going to happen to him, he decided to serve God anyway. And, and if you notice, if you look at verse 23, the persecution starts immediately. I mean, he just got saved. And in verse 23, the Bible says, And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying away was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself. So, uh, I didn't want you to miss that. They, they let him down the wall in a basket. They snuck him out of town because they were trying to kill him. And in verse 26, And when Saul came to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. He was trying to get with the disciples in Jerusalem. But they were all afraid of him. And believed not that he was a disciple. So, I mean, they're having church service. And Paul knocks on the door to come into church. They open the door. They see, they see it's Saul. And they're like, you're not coming in here. <laughs> and, and I don't blame them. I mean, he's been putting them to death, you know? And um, so they were afraid of it. Verse 27, we're introduced to Barnabas, and we'll learn more about Barnabas as we go through the book of Acts. But it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out, and spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him forth to Tarsus. Now, I want to just uh, go over one more thing. You said, you know, you might be wondering, why did Jesus take the time to appear to Saul? What was so special about Saul? Well, if, if you go back to Acts chapter number 1, and you look at verse number... I, this wasn't in my notes, but I just want you to... Look at verse 15. The Bible says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. Now, remember, this is about 50 days after Jesus, you know, died on the cross, and 10 days after he ascended up to heaven. And in verse 16 it says, Men and brethren, this is Peter speaking, Men and brethren, this is before the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, this scripture must, be, must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us, and had obtained part of this ministry. So we're talking about Judas. Keep in mind, Jesus just died a little bit over a month ago. Judas just betrayed Jesus a little bit over a month ago. And Peter is talking about, in verse 16, I want you to see it again. He says, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. So he's saying, and I won't take the time to go there, but in, in the Old Testament, you, we have prophecy about um, uh, of Judas, how he would betray Jesus Christ, and he said that David was prophesying about this, which was guided to them as Judas. Look at verse seventeen. For he was numbered with us, and had obtained part of this ministry, 
When he says he was numbered with us, he's talking about the fact that he was numbered as one of the twelve. Okay, if you go through the Gospels and you find whenever they have listings of the twelve apostles, Judas is always mentioned. He's numbered with them. He was one of the chosen twelve. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is called in the proper tongue Asoldelma, this is to say the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms. So he's going to quote for us the prophecy that he's talking about. He said, It's written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. Colon. And then it says, And his bishopric let another take. Okay, those are two different prophecies. He says, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric let another man take. Actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and go to Psalms just real quick, because I want you to see it. If you go to Psalm 69, look at Psalm 69 in your Old Testament, just... Open up in the middle of the Bible and you'll see it. I want you to see these prophecies. Psalm 69, and look at verse number 25. Psalm 69, and look at verse number 25. You find the first prophecy that he's referring to. Psalm 69, 25. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tent. That's the prophecy that he just quoted. If you go to Psalm 109.8, Psalm 109.8, you'll find the second prophecy he quoted. I won't take time to really look at him for a long time, but I just want you to see him. Psalm 109.8, find, you find the second prophecy that he's talking about, and it says, um, in verse 8 it says, let his days be few, and let his another take his office. Okay, So it says, let another take his office. And that's really what I want you to focus on. In Psalm 109, talking about Judas, he prophesied that another should take his office. Okay, If you look at Acts 22, and verse uh, 20, the last part of the verse, he says, And his bishopric let another take. So, in Psalm it said, let another take his office. And in Acts it says, let another take his bishopric. Well, that's because the bishop or was his office. You know, like the, we have the, pa- the office of the pastor in the church. Or the office of the deacon. That was one, his office. So, they're talking about replacing Judas as being one who is numbered. Now, if you look at verse 21, the Bible says, So, Peter is standing up and he's using scripture to explain why Judas must be replaced. And he's saying, look, this was prophesied. It said that another man should take his bishopric. It said that another man should take his office. Not talking about another man being an apostle because there's more than just 12 apostles. Please understand that. Barnabas, who we read about, is referred to as an apostle. And there's more than just the 12 apostles. But there's only 12 that were numbered with Jesus. Okay, And that's what they're talking about. Replacing that office. Look at verse uh, 22. I'm sorry, verse 21. So he gives his reason why they must do it, because it was prophesied. And in verse 21 he says, Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning, notice what he says, verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So, he gave the qualifications for being an apostle. Be, they had to be from the beginning of the baptism of John, because remember, Jesus was baptized by John, and the disciples were baptized by John. So, he said, there's got to be somebody who's been with us since John, until the same day that he was taken up. So, the day that he ascended, must one be ordained to be a witness with us for, from his resurrection. And they appointed two, 
Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, and he, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, you know, let, I'd like to explain to you what I believe about this, because there's a lot of controversy, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with people who don't agree with me, but I believe that it was prophesied by David that of those twelve, one would have to be replaced. His bishopric would have to be replaced. His office would have to be replaced. I personally believe that Jesus Christ already had planned for Paul the Apostle to replace Judas Iscariot. Now, the disciples, in my opinion, took it in their own hands to replace him. And, you know, other people, you know, I've talked to people about this before, and they disagree with me. They, they think that the Apostle didn't do anything wrong, that it's fine. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with somebody believing that. But here's why I don't agree with that. In verse 22, Peter gives these uh, qualifications for being an Apostle. He says, beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they're talking about making him an apostle. Now here's the reason why I disagree with those qualifications. It's because the Bible makes it very clear throughout, and I don't have time to go through it, but if you study the New Testament, it is very clear that Paul was made an apostle by Jesus Christ. He was an apostle directly ordained by Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Was Paul ordained by John the Baptist? No, he was not. Was Paul there when Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven? No, he was not. So by Peter's qualifications, Paul was not an apostle. But Jesus Christ appeared to him. And, G and the Bible says, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, is what the Bible says. So I believe that uh, the reason that Jesus appeared to, to Saul was because he had chosen him to replace Judas... And, and, and I believe that that's evident in the fact that uh, Paul did such a great ministry. I mean, if, if you're saved, if, you know, tonight, you're saved because of Paul's ministry. You're saved. Paul is the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is the one who, got, um, who brought the gospel to, to people outside of uh, the Jewish culture. And, and we as non-Jews are saved and we owe it to uh, the Apostle Paul. So that's my personal opinion and that's why I believe Jesus appeared to him and that special uh, interaction was made there. But notice, not a special salvation. A special calling, but not a special salvation. Saul had to get saved just like anyone else. And I'd and I just like to, to leave you with this challenge uh, tonight. You know, Paul, the Bible, we read there in Romans uh, chapter number 2, that God is not a respecter of persons. Sometimes, I know I personally, sometimes look at Bible characters, or even look at people who are alive today, and I think, man, that, that person, man, they're just doing so much for God, and, and, and there's just something special about them, and I could never do what they're doing. But see, here's the thing we've got to understand. Paul... As far as the Bible is concerned, did the most for Jesus Christ than any other human being has ever done. But Paul had the same opportunities that you and I have. Paul had the same sin flesh and sin nature that you and I have. And we could do as much for, for Jesus Christ as Paul did. And the only difference with Paul than most of us is that when he got saved, he just got right in. Straightway got into the fight. He just got right in it. He just went in, uh, you know, all the way... And Paul, 
and, and you know, Paul is getting rewarded in heaven for all of our salvations. Because we got saved from somebody that got saved, from somebody that got saved, from somebody that got saved from Paul. So, you know, I just like to challenge you. Don't, don't have this mindset that, oh, I can't do anything for God. Oh, I'm so new. I don't know enough. I, you know, I don't know enough of the Bible. Just jump in. And you could be the next Paul. You could, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, if you're a lady, I'm not talking about starting a church and being a missionary. But you could do the same things as Paul as far as getting moved. You can make the same impact for Jesus Christ that Paul made, you know, by working in, in the realm that God has given you. And if you say, you might say, well, I couldn't be the next Paul. You know, Paul was a very special man. Well then, I, could, I, could, could you be the next Ananias? You know, the Bible mentions Ananias two times. Acts chapter 9, when he gave the gospel to Paul. And the only other time he's mentioned is when Paul is talking about when he got saved in Acts 22. That's the only time we hear about Ananias. But God found this man that was only mentioned in this one story in the entire Bible. And you know what's more amazing? Is Paul... See, God... It's interesting, you know. God blesses us based on how much work we do. One of these days I'm going to preach a sermon on the judgment seat of Christ. And I'll explain to you how how we're going to get rewarded in heaven. But we get rewarded based on how much work we do in the furtherance of the gospel. And, 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 you know, I guess you can kind of think of it like these uh, pyramid type uh, businesses or whatever. You know, uh, we're like, you know, I'm sure everyone here has heard, heard of the businesses, you know, where you... If I get someone to to be an employee, then I get like a percentage of what they get paid. Really, that's kind of how God works. You know, when, when I get somebody saved, I get rewarded for getting them saved. But if I can train that person, disciple them to be a soul winner, and they go get saved, I get rewarded based on how many people they got saved. And then that person get trained people, and then people say, you know, then we all, we're all getting rewards. And Paul, you know, I don't, you know, Paul's going to have the most rewards in heaven of anybody. Because he is the reason that most of the world is saved. Because most of the world is not Jewish. Most of the world is Gentile. But you know who's going to have more rewards than Paul? Ananias. You know why? Ananias got Paul saved. And whoever got Ananias saved. And that's how it works. You say, I can't be the next Paul. Well, could you just be the next Ananias? Could you, could, could, you know, maybe I can't be the next Paul, but maybe I could raise the next Paul. Maybe I could get the next Paul saved. Maybe I could just be a willing vessel to get somebody saved, even if it's scary, even if it's intimidating, even if I think, man, that guy, I don't think I, don't, I, don't think I want to give him the gospel. Maybe if we would be willing to give the gospel, maybe we could get the next Paul saved, who would bring the gospel to the entire world. But we got to be willing. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, thank you, Lord, so much for... Uh,